Think of that, church. The Lamb of God in your place. His blood was poured out and our sin was erased. And it was our death, my death, that he died. And so because of that, I am also raised to life in his resurrection. And as we exclaim, this is, this is showing us there's no greater love. There's no greater love that you and I can even point to to understand how magnificent it is that Jesus Christ would do that for us. And we're going to see today that that love is the very basis on which everything that we talk about today comes out of. We cannot do it apart from that love for what he's done for us. And so before we begin, I want to pray. I want to ask God to help us to remember that truth and to see that that is the foundation of which everything that we talk about will be based on. So let's pray together. Lord Jesus, I pray that you would help us to remember that you are truly the Lamb of God. As John the Baptist declared to you, even before your ministry truly began, this is the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And we know that as you died on the cross that you proclaimed, it is finished. You accomplished the sacrificial death on behalf of your people for all time. But Lord, we also praise you and, and are so thankful that you did not remain dead. We know in three days you rose from the dead and show that your victory was complete over sin and death. And Lord, we know that as you ascended to heaven, you promised to give the Spirit, and your Spirit is now in all those who believe, who came to a realization by your grace of what you have accomplished for us. Lord, I pray that that would be true for us today, that we would marvel once again at what you've accomplished for us and for our salvation. So Jesus, I pray that as we read your word today, that that would be in the forefront of our mind because everything flows out of that. Lord, may that be true, we pray in your name. Amen. Well, good morning, church. As we've been talking about this idea of real church from Romans 12, uh, it's been an awesome series so far. Hopefully you've been edified and strengthened and encouraged through this time. I just want to briefly cover some of the things that we talked about as we Look at Romans 12, immediately it says, listen, in view of God's mercies, present your body as a living sacrifice to God. Holy and acceptable, this is pleasing worship. And that's an action that you do, but it also is shown in us not looking like the world anymore. We're part of a new creation. The renewal of our mind is evidence that we are God's people, and it's a process that we participate in by the Spirit of God. To have our minds renewed so that we're desiring to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. And we saw that really that comes out first in us being humble, that we don't think highly of ourselves anymore, but we think of ourselves with sober judgment as God has given us faith. And that evidenced is, is it's actually evidenced in the life that we live among the body of Christ. We saw that we're many members with one another and we've been given gifts according to God's will, according to the grace given to us. And last week we were admonished, use them, use them, whatever they are, the multifaceted, Use them for the benefit of God's people. And now Paul stops with that kind of rhetoric and explanation and exhortation. And now he jumps into a lot of exhortations, just one after another. And so today we're going to be looking at five exhortations of Paul from Romans 12. And we'll be covering Romans 12, 9 to 10. And this is really the idea of genuine love. And so we're going to look at the question, what does genuine love look like? What is it and what does it look like? And so let's read the passage together. Again, it's Romans 12, 9 and 10. And it says this, Let love be genuine. 
Abhor what is evil. Hold fast to what is good. Love one another with brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. As we're looking at this, I, I couldn't help but remember that genuine love is one of the pillars as we rebranded and rethought of the things in our church and the things we want you to know about Summit Church. The pillars that we have are found on our website. And this is, this is actually taken right from our website. So, so look at this slide with me. Now, who is that beautiful woman? My goodness. Wonderful. And who's that guy with the backpack on behind her? Who cares? Look at, the, look at the lady. Wonderful. But look at what it says. It's genuine love. And this is what it expresses. It says, we are a people who are transformed by God's love. And so because we're transformed, we're willing to speak the truth in love to everyone. And we're devoted to loving and serving one another. And sure enough, what passage is it? The passage we're looking at today. Love needs to be genuine, abhorring what is evil, hold fast to what is good, love one another with brotherly affection, outdo one another in showing honor. So again, this is a very important passage. And I, and I want to say to you that as Paul starts in the passage, he says, let love be genuine. Many people look at that as that's a title for the sections that follow. The part of saying, this is now what I'm going to put your focus on in terms of what needs to be the foundation of everything else that comes out of this. Love is the expression of all, or the expression of love is all of these things that I'm about to tell you. That's what you need to know. And it is also interesting to note that it follows spiritual gifts. We see that also in 1 Corinthians 12. You have 1 Corinthians 13. He says, desire the spiritual gifts, but now I will show you even a more excellent way. And then he goes into love. The explanation that without love, these things profit you nothing. So it's very fitting that as we're talking about what it looks like to live among God's people and to serve and to be among one another, that we mention love. And again, this is an outflow of the foundation of Jesus Christ. All of the pillars are an outflow of the foundation of Jesus Christ. This is very clear, especially about love. 1 John chapter 4. Corey mentioned part of it. I'm going to go a little before that in 7 and 8. He says, love is from God. He says, anyone who loves is a child of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God because God is love. And then Corey mentioned, God showed how much he loved us. How? He showed us by sending his one and only son into the world so that we might have eternal life through him. This is love. Not that we loved God, but he loved us and he sent his son as a sacrifice to take away our sins. And then he says, dear friends, since God loved us that much, we also ought to love one another. The natural response of love is love. I understand how much God has loved me. So genuine love flows out of the love that is given to us in the Lord Jesus Christ. Even in Romans, Paul has mentioned love. In Romans 5, uh, maybe a familiar passage, Paul writes and says, God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. He says, while we were still weak, at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. One will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person, one would even dare to die. But God does this. God shows us his love in this way, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And then in Romans 13, after this passage, he reminds us, owe no one anything. Don't owe any, anyone anything except to love each other. For the one who loves, 
one another has fulfilled the law. And then he says the commandments, don't commit adultery, don't murder, don't steal, don't covet. Any other commandment are summed up in this word, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Why? Because love does no wrong to his neighbor. Therefore, love is the fulfilling of the law. And this is why love is the starting point for this section. It's moving us out from self-exalting love to self-sacrificial love. Remember, offering yourself as a living sacrifice, not thinking highly of yourself, but thinking yourself with sober judgment. And that's what Paul says. That's what genuine love is. No one is saved. Let me just remind you, no one is saved and then goes, thanks, Jesus, and then sings the song. I surrender none to you. I do what I want to, do what I want. No one would ever sing that. That's exactly opposite of everything that God is saying would actually be shown in a believer. We would say, I surrender all to you. You do what you want to in me. Have your way. That's what I want to see. I want to see what you want accomplished in my life. Now, notice the word genuine there, or let love be sincere. Perhaps your translation used the word sincere. The word there is actually without hypocrisy. Hypocrisy is any action that ultimately is self-seeking. That's what it is. So think of this. If you're lying to someone or flattering someone, my kids are really good at this. My daughter will sit on my wife's lap, look her right in the face and be like, Mama, you're so beautiful. Your face is like that of an angel. I love you so much, Mama. And then the truth comes out. <laughs> Can I have a cookie? We all know that's flattering. We, know exa we knew exactly her intention. All the nice things that she said. Although they're true, we're self-seeking. I actually was just, I'm saying this because I want a cookie. And I think how many times we interact with people and, and flatter them. That's hypocritical love. Another aspect of hypocritical love is hiding or covering up things. You don't want to be seen. You don't want to be known. And so that's what we see here is that genuine love truly is that which is not fake. And two realities that we see about hypocritical love is that hypocritical love is always looking for people's praise. It's always looking for other people to speak well of them. So think of it like this. Did you see what I did? did who saw what I did? Anybody see what I did? You did? Awesome. Yeah, I like you. I love you. I love you. I love you. Because they saw what you did. That's the only reason. You're, you're being honored by people and people around you like you. Think about how easy it is to avoid people who actually love you enough to say something true to you of something that you've done wrong. Oh, well, that person, I don't, I don't want to be around that person. That person's too critical. No, that person is actually the more loving person. As Proverbs says, wounds from a friend can be trusted. An enemy will multiply kisses. And I think of that in saying that's what we need to understand is that love will not avoid saying things that actually might hurt your reputation because it is true. You're doing it in a loving way. It, a person who does not love will only seek people's praise. Another aspect of hypocritical love is that they cover sin or they change the focus of sin. I think of how quick we are to blame other people or other circumstances for our sins. If someone came up to you and said, hey man, you've been really, uh, you've been really mean to that guy over there. He goes, yeah, yeah, thanks for, thanks for telling me, man. But you know, I've just had a, I've had a hard week. Had a lot of family conflict or, you know, I'm just tired, man. I love you, man. Thanks for telling me. And then you give him a good, he gives you a good hug and he goes, hey man, be safe in a spirit of social distancing. You know, I mean, that's, that's what people will do. They, they're covering up the actual truth that I sinned. They're blaming the fact that, oh, I was tired. I had a hard week, 
I've had family conflict. Well, that, none of those are excuses for what you've just done. That's hypocritical love. I'm not receiving what you're going to do. I'm, I'm trying to hide myself. I'm not letting you care for me. That's also hypocritical. That has no place among God's people. And here's the truth. You cannot read Romans 12 and think that hypocritical love fits anywhere in what we've been learning so far. And it won't fit in anything that we're going to learn. Think of it. If you're a, a living sacrifice, you can't have hypocrisy. You're truly laying yourself down because of God's mercy. You're not going to conform to this world. You're going to be renewed in your mind and live appropriately. You're not going to be haughty or thinking highly of yourself, which is what hypocritical love wants to maintain. You're going to see the members of the community as members of Christ in one body together, and you're going to desire to uplift them and encourage them. Hypocritical love has no place among God's people. Genuine love is the thing that God desires. So what does genuine love look like? If, if you and I are like, well, how do I know if I'm hypocritical or genuine? Well, that's what Paul really gets at. So the next parts, or the, the parts that we're going to look at is what genuine love is evidenced by. And the first thing we see is that genuine love responds appropriately to good and evil. Notice he says, abhor what is evil, hold fast to what is good. Now the first thing I want to draw our attention to is that good and evil are true apart from your opinion. Notice he's not asking you to determine what is good and evil. He says, abhor that which is evil. Cling to that which is good. It's not based on your perception. And think of what's happening in our nation and how things are being perceived as one thing is good, one thing is evil, and then it could change tomorrow. Oh, now that's really evil. And oh, no, now that's good. No, there's a standard that God has given us because he's revealed it to us. It's his word. It's his word reveals that which is good and evil. And so you and I simply know this because it reveals to us the character of God himself. God himself abhors what is evil and he clings to what is good. He has no other response. But that's really the second part is that genuine love responding appropriately is that you and I have the right reactions and those show the spirit of God. Note the words abhor and hold fast. Abhor comes from from horror, from horror, horrified. It's the idea of absolute hatred against it, intense revulsion. I think of that. I, I want to think that I can watch horror movies. I can't. They're, they're awful. I do not like them. But I think of even the effect of someone jumping out and scaring you and your reaction going, yeah! I mean, that's revulse. You're revolt. Oh, mm, and you're mad. That's what every little bit of evil should have that reaction. We jump back. We're not going towards that. No one is terrified of something that goes, ooh, that's, that looks good. No one, no one does. If you're truly revulsed, you go away from it. That's what he's saying. My wife abhors spiders. She says, ah, backs away. Now, some of you might say, well, I have different reactions to some of those things that you gave examples of. Yeah, I understand that. But all of us should have the same response to evil. There's no other response that is appropriate. So we have to have the right response, the right reaction, because the Spirit of God is bringing that about. We should abhor what is evil. It's the highest degree of hatred, disgust, and revulsion. 
Again, there's no delight in it, not even the smallest enjoyment of it, not even the smallest of evil. But on the contrary, you have this idea of holding fast. And this is the idea of clinging to it for all you are worth. There's no way you're letting this go. As I thought of this, my daughter, we have a video of my daughter, Venna, having an apple. And my wife tries to pull it away from her and she just goes, ah, ah, and then she lets go. She goes, ah, and she goes right back to eating the apple. Totally content. Try to pull it away. Revulsion. Hey, nope. Clinging to it. I'm cl you're not getting this out of my hands. This word is actually used of the idea of a man's relationship to a wife. Jesus says in Matthew 19.5, he says the man will leave his father and mother and hold fast, cling to his wife. And so this is a joyful pursuit. This is a desire that is good, that needs to be pushed forward, pursued with joy. This is the highest degree of joyful pursuit that you and I could experience. That should be our attitude towards that which is good. That we would hate and ab absolutely abhor this which is evil. As God has told us, it's evil. And that we would grab to and go towards that which is good. And constantly learning to discern those things is what you and I are in the process of the renewed mind. This doesn't happen immediately, but God reveals it to us in his word. And these distinctions exist because God himself is the definition of that which is good. So God is the one who gives us and reacts very similarly to this. And this is why in Romans 12 too, he says this is why we're able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. But many of us sadly conform to the pattern of the world. And think of the pattern of the world, of what we're seeing even in our nation today, is that we're often able to call what is good evil and that which is evil good. We flip-flop them. The world is so good at changing the very definition of that which is evil and good. God says, I will have none of that. My people will learn to discern what is evil and what is good. I think of what Romans 1 talks about. Romans 1 shows why people start going towards loving evil and abhorring good. Let's, let's remind ourselves of this. God says that God gave them over to a depraved mind. Why did he do this? Right before this, it says that they exchanged the truth of God for a lie. So they took God out of the appropriate spot and they didn't just leave it void. They replaced it with them. They replaced it with, I'm going to be the standard of what is right and wrong, of evil and good. And so it says, so God gave them over to this so that they would do what ought not to be done. They have become filled, filled with every kind of wickedness, evil, greed, and depravity. They are full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, and malice. Notice this. They are gossips, slanders, God-haters, insolent, arrogant, boastful. They invent ways of doing evil. They disobey their parents. They have no understanding, no fidelity, no love, no mercy. And then this last one is terrifying. It says, although they know God's righteous decree that those who do such things deserve death, it says they not only continue to do these very things, but also approve, give praise. Give praise to those who practice them. Church, that's, that's sadly all of us apart from the grace of God, that we would exchange the truth of good and evil and try to determine on our own 
And notice it says, they know exactly the end result of this, that those who do these things deserve death. They don't care. They do not care. They not only practice them, but they approve of people who do the very thing, who join them in this. And this is really the idea, sadly, in our world of mob mentality. Hey, if everybody's doing it, it must be okay. That's, that's absolutely lawlessness. That is, I don't care what God says. I'm going to determine my own law. And there you have it. And this is what he said. So human depravity is true. Now, I, I don't want to make it seem like, okay, we're only talking about those people over there. Because the Bible is very clear about us. And I, as I was reading God's word, I was like, God, let me just admit where I don't abhor evil. So let's look at some of these practices. And let's see how we react to what God's word says about what we do. How about, how about these? We, see, we saw these before. We looked at Ephesians and Philippians. What does it say? Philippians 2.14. Do all things without grumbling or disputing. Now, I'm putting these up because this is, this is for me. Maybe it's for you. I'm assuming it's for you too. As I look at this, do all things without grumbling or disputing. How about 429 of Ephesians? Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouth. Only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs that it may benefit those who listen. How about Ephesians 4.31? Get rid, again, abhor, get rid of it, all, all bitterness, rage, anger, harsh words, slander, as well as all types of evil behavior. I'm overwhelmed by those. Overwhelmed. Just, just in our time over the past couple months, how are we doing with that? Do we even recognize that? How, how are we responding to this? I think of how often I can think, well, you don't understand. I mean, uh, it's really hard. It's really difficult. Again, the excuses that we could give. Well, I mean, what about this situation? We're trying to keep hold of something that is evil. And God says, no, abhor what is evil. Cling to what is good. This is good to not do these things. How about this? Titus 3. Now I'm really stepping on toes. Remind the people to be subject to rulers and authorities, to be obedient, to be ready to do whatever is good, to slander no one, to be peaceable and considerate, and always, always to be gentle toward everyone. Church, this is, very, this is what God's will is. This is his good, pleasing, and perfect will. If there's a bristling in you to defend actions or words or things that you've done, that is your flesh fighting against the clear teaching of God by his spirit, bringing light into darkness, and you are on the precipice of loving darkness rather than light. God in his grace exposes darkness in us, in all of us, and shows us that we have to admit that we need him. So often we don't want that. We want to see that we can have control, we can do what we want, and God's word can take the shelf because that doesn't understand, that doesn't apply to this circumstance. No, it does, it does. 
And so our reactions need to honor God in humility, in humility. Again, hypocritical love boasts in what I do better than other people or what I do that is right, and I judge myself according to other people. And so genuine love responds appropriately to good and evil. Now, now again, as I look at this, I don't want to just stop on Titus 3, 1, and 2 because we're looking at what is good. So if that's the evil, that we're not, we're not supposed to do those things. He doesn't leave it there. I love that Paul continues in Titus 3, 3. Notice what it says. So, so remind the people to do these things. And then he says, listen, I understand at one time, we too, we were foolish. We were disobedient. We were deceived. We were enslaved by all kinds of passions and pleasures. We lived in malice and envy, being hated and hating one another. But notice what he says. This is amazing. Church, let's just, again, clinging to what is good. When the kindness and love of God our Savior appeared, he saved us. Let me say that again. When the kindness and love of God our Savior appeared, it was shown. He saved us. Not because of righteous things we had done, but because of his mercy. He saved us through the washing of of rebirth and the renewal by the Holy Spirit. That word renewal is the same word that we're to be renewed in the spirit of our minds and our minds. Same thing. Washing of rebirth, renewal by the Holy Spirit. That's how he saved us and that's how he's continuing us going forward. And notice it says that the Spirit, he poured out on us generously, giving us the power to do, to cling to that which is good and to abhor that which is evil. And he did this through Jesus Christ, our Savior so that you and I, having been justified by his grace, we might ultimately come to gain the inheritance, become heirs having the hope of eternal life. We will ultimately gain eternal life with him forever because his salvation is not only now, but it is all the way through our life and will bring about the end, the future. And that is what is good. So we're changed. That's why he says in Romans 12, in view of God's mercy, Paul then explains it's because of his mercy that he did this. Present your body, present your mind, present your emotions, present your words, present all of you as a living sacrifice. This is your true and proper worship. This is what you do. This is how God is glorified in you when you show that this is more important than what you would like and what you would see done in certain situations that you would say, no, Lord, help me to live this way. And God is really good at showing us who we are and what we love. And let's be honest, we don't want to let go of our favorite sins. We don't want to. In fact, we don't even know what our favorite sins are until God starts meddling and taking things away. And when he does, we go, whoa, 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 whoa. What are you doing? What are you doing with that? No, you don't need this anymore. This is terrible. No, no, I, oh, that? Yes, that. And the Spirit is the one who helps us. I think of this, I said, God, I don't, I don't hate my sin as I should. What, what do I do? Well, the Bible gives us clarity on this, that we would pray to God that you and I would hate these things. I think of Paul's admonition in Romans 8. He says this, brothers, you and I are not debtors to the flesh, no, we're not debtors to the flesh. We owe nothing to our flesh, 
to live according to it. But then he says, listen, if you live according to the flesh, you will die. That's the end result of that anyway. You don't want that. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. Notice that. If by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. You don't put to death something that you love. You don't. You protect something you love. So you have to pray, Lord Jesus, when I have been shown sin, help me to grow to hate it, to abhor it, to want it to be gone, to be revulsed, to be absolutely compelled to say, get that away from me. And then, by, and that's by the Spirit, and by the Spirit you will put that to death. I think of how many things in your life that you used to love. God has changed your affections, your desires for those things, and killed it in your life. And if you say, no, 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 that's still strong in my life, pray, ask God, Lord, help me to hate it. Help me to refresh my mind on what is good, on what you've done for me, and that I would literally hate everything that would be opposed to your work in my life by your spirit, and that I would be led by the spirit of God because that's proof that I am your child. Help me, Lord. But let's be honest, if we, even if we do continue pursuing sin, even if we continue pursuing sin, God promises that he will show you the destruction of this in your life. Many of us point to the, the parable of the prodigal son. And I know the parable is about the man or the older brother's response to the younger brother. But let's look at the younger brother, right? He says, dad, I want my inheritance, I'm out. And he spends all of it on reckless living. Again, he's determining what is good and evil. He doesn't, he doesn't think that it's evil for him to be reckless with his living, but he does. He, he does that. And then it says that he spent everything. He spent it, so it's all gone. So now his clinging to his riches is gone. A severe famine arose in that country. So now the things that he needs, the things that he could cling to, just the basic necessities of life, he can't cling to those anymore. They're gone. God takes those away. And it says he began to be in need. And then he says he went out and hired himself. Do you realize that the word hired there is the same word as cling to? What is good? Hired, cling to. So now he's clinging to a foreigner and saying, help me, help me, help me. That's what he's doing. He hires himself to be his slave. You, you help me. And he treats them terribly. He throws them in with pigs to feed pigs. And eventually he gets to the point where he says he was longing to be fed with the pods that the pigs ate. And notice this. this is per it says no one gave him anything. Everything that he was clinging to is removed. Nothing was, nothing was there. And then it says, and then he came to his mind. Because when he came to nothing, then he recognized, he recognized that which was truly good. He started abhorring those things that are evil. And he turns and he says, my father, what am I doing? My father will accept, maybe he'll accept me. He, maybe he'll accept me as a, as a slave. But either way, it's better to be with my father. And the father runs to that man. And it says he falls on him and embraces him and brings him back into fellowship with the father. And I look at that and I say, that's what clinging to good is. Let me ask you this. Do you think that that son had the same perspective of evil that when he left? Or do you think it changed just a little bit? Do you think he hated those things that he was doing? Do you think his heart joyfully said, you know what, just give me another chance. I'll go back out there and that'd be, no. 
The, the indication of the text is he is forever changed because he saw the goodness of the Father. That's what Paul is saying, that you and I would abhor what is evil to such a degree that we would look at that and go, that is gross, that is disgusting. I never, ever want to do that again. Lord, help me never to desire that. Lord, if there's anything in my heart for those things, change it immediately and help me to grasp on to your goodness. You yourself are that goodness. That's what he wants out of us. That's what he's struggling for. That's what he wants us to struggle for, to cling to that which is good. And again, God is perfectly in control. He disciplines us according to everything that we need. And maybe you feel like this is a time that is very hard. Let me ask you, where is God showing you reliance on yourself, evil in your heart, reactions, words that you're speaking, thoughts that you're having that are perhaps not according to his word? How are you responding to the spirit of God as he brings that to conviction in you? Are you saying, oh, well, it's just the time that we're, or are you saying, Lord Jesus, forgive me. I need you. Please help me. Please help me. Are you relying on the family of God in this walk as well? It's not absent from us all. We are here with you and helping you. And again, we're learning to distinguish good and evil and react appropriately to those things. And as we do that, love actually increases. And so he continues in the passage and shows us another expression of genuine love. And it's this, genuine love values family. Notice he says, love one another with brotherly affection. That idea is have tender family love and care for one another as brothers and sisters in Christ. That's the idea. And I see that Paul is showing us that the church, the way he speaks of God's people being a family is that it should be even closer to us than our own biological family. Now, I don't know what your biological family looks like. Maybe some of yours are chaotic. Some of yours are more ordered. There's peace there. There's love. There's following Christ. Others of you, you're like, it's crazy. It's nothing of what I believe family should be. But church, either way, the indication is is that when you come into the presence of God's people, that there should be an expectation that the love that you and I have for one another is actually more genuine, more real, than those outside, even of your own biological family who do not know the Lord. Love one another with brotherly affection, with family devotion. And I think of it as we look around and as we see one another and as we interact with one another, do you actually see those people as family? Or do you just see them as people who gather together in a group and we just do what we do and we're all hearing these things and that's great? That's not what family does. Family is different. Family cares for one another. Family checks in on one another. Family moves towards pain and sorrow in one another's life. Family rejoices with one another. And we'll see the outflow of this idea of family even in the next couple exhortations. This is what we do as family together. I think of 1 Timothy 5. Paul says this, Do not rebuke an older man, but appeal to him as to a father. Treat younger men as brothers, older women as mothers, and younger women as sisters with absolute purity. So I think of this, older men, do you care for younger men as your own sons? Do you care for younger women as your own daughters? Older women, are you treating 
older men, younger men, as a brother, son, younger women, as daughters. How, how is that relationship going? Younger people in our church, are you treating with respect as your own parents or better than your own parents for some of you? That you treat them in a way that honors the Lord as parents, as fathers and mothers. And this is a reminder to me that the exhortations of relationships within the body of Christ are based on this idea that you and I are family together because of Christ. So if you're an older person, you define older. I'm not going to define it for you. But if you're older in the church, is there anyone who's younger that you should be treating as a son and trying to raise them up to understand as if, you, as if they were your own son or your own daughter? Younger men, younger women. Who are people that you could maybe have? Maybe you're not with your family. Maybe you're apart from your family. Who would you have as a parent or a figure that you would look to and ask to be a part of their life and that you would respect them and love them and even care for them as if they were your own parent? That's a challenge. And I wonder, who's going to start this? Who should start this? I'll leave that up to you in the Spirit of God as he leads you and guides you. But maybe you're thinking of someone. I invite you. And even think of this. How would that affect the dynamic of some of our small groups? How would they change if we took this seriously? That we would understand the value of older generations and younger generations and then that we would mold them together in a way that actually looks like a family. So again, we love the family of God and we value them. That's what genuine love does. The final thing here is that genuine love praises other people. He says, outdo one another in showing honor. And again, an outflow of genuine love, clinging to what is good and valuing God's family is this aspect of humility is really what he's saying. Remember, hypocritical love seeks its own praise. Genuine love is not going to seek its own praise. It's not going to boast. You are constantly looking at what other people are doing. You're not looking to see if people are noticing what you're doing. You're noticing what they're doing. You're appreciating genuinely, not flattering. Again, not like my daughter on my, on my wife's lap. That's, that's flattery because you're still self-seeking. This is liter- genuinely looking and seeing and appreciating people around you constantly, being thankful. This is a heart of gratitude of what people are actually doing because when you cling to what is good, you recognize and see that which is good. And so that's what he's saying. He says, outdo one another. Help each other grow in this understanding of honoring one another. And let's be honest. If we're honoring one another and we don't get honored, are we going to be mad? Are we going to be upset? Well, I'm, I'm encouraging all these people. No one's encouraging me. Can I just tell you that the truth of the matter is that God is the one who sees and he's the one who empowers this in you? I think of how, how the, the reality of the fact that so often we are motivated simply by the praise of people. And when that stops, we stop. As we learned last week, Paul admonishes us to use our gifts accordingly. There's nothing about, listen, use your gifts if people genuinely appreciate you. Then when they stop appreciating, you stop doing it. No. You continue to honor other people. That means put them above yourself, more important than yourself. You continue to serve because they are more important to you. They are more important to you. And so genuine love honors people, helps them, encourages them because they're valued. Again, if they're God's family, they're of great value to you. Now listen, we're stopping here today, but as we continue, there's going to be other exhortations over the next few weeks. And let me remind us, these are not optional. It's not like God says, if you want to. 
This is exactly what he says is his will. This is his will. He's teaching us and telling us what is good. And our minds, as we hear this, have to be renewed to think differently about how we interact with one another and even think of our own selves. And so as we hear these things, maybe you think, well, Charles, those are really good, and I understand that, but these are not true in me. And let me remind us again, the first thing we should do is repent. It's okay. God, I don't have these. Guys, I don't even want these. Will you please help me to want these? Guys, God, will you please help me to see that these are important and of great value and that this is actually good? Honestly, Lord, I feel like that I'm repulsed by those things because I look at them and I go, those are impossible. Yeah, they are. Apart from God, you can do nothing. Apart from the Lord Jesus, you have nothing. The Spirit of God is the one who helps you. But notice that the focus, again, is all the things that God has done for you and his love for you. You don't muster that up from within you. It is empowered by God because you are focusing and clinging to that which is good. So think of that. Cling to that. And God's goodness is going to triumph over the evil in our hearts because he is the one able to remove it over time. And ultimately in our death, we will be released fully, as, as Paul says, who will save me from this body of death? Praise be to God, who gives us the victory through Jesus Christ our Lord. And that should be always on our lips. And so let's be reminded of that as we close today, that it is God's mercy that is the thing that gave us all of these things and is giving us the ability to do them. So let's pray. Lord Jesus, I thank you for your mercy. I thank you for your kindness and your grace that appeared to us through Jesus Christ, that you showed us what he's done for us, Lord, that the truth of the historical events that took place are not just mundane facts. Lord, they are life. They're life for us. They are good for us. Our hearts need to receive those constantly. So Lord, I pray by your spirit, Lord, I pray that your spirit would show us and reveal to us where evil is cherished in our heart, where we love evil. And Lord, that you would teach us to abhor it, to get rid of it, and that you and I would, or that we would think through the fact that we are called by you to live in family with one another and to honor other people. And part of that is also having conversations with one another about evil that is found within each of us. Lord, that's what love looks like. Lord, I pray that that would be true. Lord, we need you to do this. We need you to do this. We, we desperately need you to do this. So please, Lord, help us.
Less of me, take everything. I'll be honest, there's probably fear in actually stating that. The fact of take everything, man, that seems extreme. But then I think of what we sang. If we sing truly, you are my life and my treasure, then there would be nothing of value that we would say that you, you wouldn't be able to take it. And again, in this process of growth, is that you and I would see those things that hinder us of our devotion to the Lord Jesus. And we would say, Lord, take that away. 
God, I don't want that. I don't want that anymore. You've changed my desire for those things. And so as we sang that song, hopefully your heart was resonating with that. Even if it was a little fearful, be bold in understanding that Jesus Christ is worth it. So let me ask this. If God were to take everything, what would our heart's cry be? Would it be, Lord, why? Why are you doing this? Or would it be, yes, Lord, thank you for giving me more of you? And that's really a challenge for us. And as we go this week and as we deal with the various things that are happening, I hope that your hearts are reminding again that Jesus Christ loves us. When we end the service with you are loved, it is reminding us that we are totally loved by God. And therefore, the love that we have for one another is motivated simply by reminding us that we are loved. Church, we will see you soon. I know we miss one another. We're away from one another, but we will be together soon. And so, as always, you are loved.